Manoas Park for their children's church opportunity. I got that out first. I didn't forget. Some of y'all are wagering each week whether or not I'll remember to get them out of here or not. Well, I remembered. Listen, I want you to conceptualize something with me for a second. Conceptualize something with me. For those of you from Alabama, that means I want you to think and imagine. Okay? Think and imagine. What we're going to think and imagine is that you are witnessing to somebody. You are testifying of the works of God from your mouth to their ears. You're thinking about where you are, what the setting is, what it looks like. You're not in a church. We've got to cross that one off the list. You're not in a Sunday school class. Let's remove that one as well. You are somewhere in society. And whether you're talking to one or a crowd, you're talking to them about the works of God in your life. Do you see it? Do you see yourself communicating, this is what God did for me, with me, and to me? Do you see the attitude of the person that you're talking to? Perhaps you've never been in that situation before. Perhaps you've actually never witnessed the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody, but here you're thinking about it. Why do you think it is that we are often so retracted from actually telling somebody about Jesus? Uh, I think quite often it's because we've already pictured in our mind what the perfect condition would be. And we haven't encountered that condition in our ordinary, everyday walk, and so therefore... We don't share the truth of Jesus Christ with the people that we encounter because the sunlight is not shining down at the right angle and the birds are not fluttering in the air in the right way and the butterflies are not dancing behind us in the right venue and Disney has ruined us for the perfect moment. You realize that, don't you? But we've also ruined ourselves because guess what, folks? There is no perfect moment. There's only the here and now. This is the moment that you have. And and in regards to sharing the witness that we have about Jesus, what conditions would be perfect and what conditions would be right for you to tell someone of your walk with Jesus? Whatever conditions God puts you in for that moment, that would be the right conditions. Now, suppose the audience you pictured that you were sharing the gospel with, that you were testifying about Jesus. Just suppose it was an audience, and they already hate you. Is that the optimal condition to share the gospel? Well, it is if the Spirit of God prompts you to. And if the Spirit of God prompts you to, that is the perfect time to testify of the faith that you have in Jesus. Open your Bibles up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 22 today. We were in Acts chapter 21 last week. We're going to cover just a moment of time in Acts chapter 21, but we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 22 predominantly from this point forward. But this is the audience that Paul is addressing not one that's amicable to him not one that likes him not one that that is excited that he is the 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 visiting preacher the audience that paul is about to talk to is one that detest him they hate him how do we know that but well we just went through acts chapter 21 last week so we know their attitude toward paul if you forgot about what their attitude toward paul is or you weren't here last week in acts chapter 21 just read these two telling verses that we have in verse 31 and verse 32 of acts chapter 21 Verse 31 says, now as they were seeking to kill him, they didn't like him. I mean, you don't kill somebody you like, do you? You don't kill somebody you love. They, they, they hated him. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. 
Not only were they seeking to kill him, they were in the midst of trying to accomplish it when the soldiers and centurions showed up and had to stop them from beating Paul. Now in that scenario that you may have pictured about witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody in some setting other than church, I'm sure you weren't on the receiving end of a beating prior to the picture that you had in your mind of what it meant to share Christ. Well, Paul was. He was just on the receiving end of a beating, and they were wanting to kill him. Now, that surely wouldn't cross our mind as an open door or an open opportunity or a faith event or an EE opportunity or a CWT. For those of you who have been in Baptist life for so long, you know what those terminologies are. And they always say, seek to find an opening, a person of peace, somewhere where you can actually have an opportunity to talk to them on some kind of common ground. A beating just doesn't quite look like that but that's where Paul is and he's about to testify of his faith the perfect time to testify of your faith is when and where the spirit of God leads you to let me say that again church because I think you have and I am guilty of this, of looking for just the right atmosphere, the right ambiance, the right inclination of feelings to be able to witness to somebody. The perfect time to witness the testimony of your faith is when and where the Spirit of God leads you to. And guess what? Sometimes that's going to be a weird place. And sometimes that's going to be a weird situation. And sometimes you're not going to be in the right mood to do it. And sometimes you're not going to feel like you're up to the task because quite often in our imaginations when it comes to witnessing, we not only have the perfect scenario for the witnessing encounter, but we also presuppose the ending of it. And the ending of it is either they reject me, so therefore I'm not going to witness at all, or the ending of it is everybody gets saved. We don't know what's going to happen with our witness. We don't know what's going to happen with our witnessing encounters. But when the Holy Spirit prompts you to witness, you witness. When the Spirit of God is not leading you to, you don't. One of the reasons I believe we don't witness at all is because we've taken back control from God and self-preservation and self-manifestation and, and, and all of these ego things that we have in our lives. We want to present ourselves in such a way and we don't want anything to detract from us in the eyes of others. In other words, God, I'm going to be in charge. We've taken the control back from God. Do you know what we call that? We call that quenching the Holy Spirit. And when it's all about me, and I'm about in my preservation mode, then we have quenched the Holy Spirit, we have stifled Him, we have suppressed Him, and we have not allowed to God, for God to actually be the Lord of our lives. We've taken the reins ourselves. Acts chapter 22 illuminates a man being led by the Spirit of God to testify about the things of God. There's no soft music. There's no quiet prayer room. There's no rational audience to even talk to. And yet Paul spoke. Let me rephrase that. Yet God, the Spirit of God, spoke through Paul as he stood in this platform and gave an account to the works of God. Go to Acts chapter 22. Begin reading with me in just a sec. Or Acts chapter 21. We're still there for just a second. But as we begin reading in verse 37 and moving forward, you'll see that the Spirit of God will use your backstory. The Spirit of God will use your backstory. In Acts chapter 21, verse 37, we pick up. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? 
Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? You, you understand that when somebody's working prison detail, they're summon, su summing up their prisoners as they're leading them around. You understand that, right? What's this bad dude in here for? And that's the first inclination they got. This is a bad dude. He wouldn't be here if it wasn't necessary. And this prison guard is leading uh, Paul to the barracks. Paul says, can I speak to you? The prison guard said, well, yeah, if you can speak Greek, I'll listen to you. And, and the prison guard goes on to say, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up the He says, you're that guy. You're that rebellious leader of thousands of guys, hundreds of guys uh, who wanted to have an insurrection, aren't you? Already got a picture painted of Paul. Well, that's not a grand witnessing introduction, is it? Verse 29, but Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So, when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was great silence, he spoke to them. In the Hebrew language. He just changed tongues. Well, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, the commander says, can you speak Greek? Paul goes on to tell him that I'm from Tarsus, no mean city. And then he begins speaking in Hebrew to the people that are out there uh, to listen to him. Now, the only way this could happen is because Paul had all of those tools at his disposal. What languages he could speak, where he was from, the understanding of that town, where he was from by this guy that was leading him to the barracks. And he could speak Hebrew to the people at a mess. All that had already been given to Paul. Here's the point. God will use what he's given you. Whatever he's equipped you with in your backstory is yours for the glory of God. And he'll use whatever he gives you. As you keep on reading, you come to chapter 22. Paul says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent, and said, I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up this, in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of your father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. What's Paul doing? He's using his backstory. He used it with the guy leading him to the barracks. And now he's using it with the people as a whole. This is where I was born. This is where I was brought up. This is the education I had. And I was just like you. I was zealous against these people as well. Is he lying? No, he was a zealot. And he's able to use his backstory to build common ground with the people. Whenever he brings out the point that he trained under Gamaliel, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is one of the leading theologians in the town of Jerusalem. If there's anybody to train under, it would be him. And if you're going to give ear to what somebody has to say, if they've trained under one of the leading scholars, leading religious uh, theologists of that day, then Paul would be one you would listen to. It would be like having a conversation with your friends about something that's ailing you, a physical infirmity that you have. And one of your friends is a doctor, and Pete can talk, and John can talk, and Fred can talk. Oh, but when Dr. Joe speaks, you know who you're going to listen to? You're going to listen to Dr. Joe. Well, Paul said under Dr. Gamaliel. So he's able to have that common ground that everybody would recognize, and that's something God gave him. And then Paul brings everyone in the crowd into his journey when he says, I was zealous just like you were. Continue on in verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears witness and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. What happened in verses 4 and 5? 
Was Paul right? What did he do? He persecuted the way to the death. He bound people. He delivered people to prisons, both men and women. He persecuted the way, and the high priest will bear him witness. He received letters and had chains ready to bring everybody to Jerusalem to be punished. Was he right then? He was wrong. You think about the way. What was the way? The way was, we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent from heaven, born of a virgin, born to bear our sins upon a cross, killed and crucified for our debt that we could not pay, buried in a borrowed tomb, but resurrected to newness of life, therefore breaking the bonds of death, breaking the bonds of hell, and promising a secure eternal life to those who have trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. They were only believing the truth that they had witnessed and had been verified among many witnesses. And by believing that truth, it meant that they were no longer their own Lord, but God was now their Lord, and they subjected themselves willfully yielding allegiance to Him and Him alone. That was the way. What's so wrong about that? If it's true, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Oh, and by the way, I believe 125% it's absolutely true. But if it's false, you're a lunatic. And if you're a lunatic, you have become a threat to the rest of society because of these crazy nuances of your belief system. And you can't have allegiance to a God up there and also have allegiance to your commanders and leaders and, and governors and everybody else down here. If you yield to them, you might not yield to us. And so therefore, we're going to do everything we can to stomp you out. And that was what Paul was doing. He was a failure in the things of God at this time. When it comes to your testimony, though, God will even use your failures. He will even use the things that you did against God, the things of blasphemy even, which Paul was a part of, the things of murder and damage to other people. He will even use that in your testimony if you're yielding those failures to the Spirit of God. He brings out, we didn't fail alone. Even the high priest would bear me witness to this. They were actually a part of it. But notice Paul didn't glorify the sin. Two verses. Two verses to talk about what he was. About what he used to be. I've heard testimonies quite often when it comes to this where the sin gets glorified and what I used to be gets glorified rather than the Savior who changed me. Paul only spoke about it to show the background that he comes from. He didn't glorify the sin. He didn't camp out in it. The temptation we have, though, is to be liked. And we want to build common ground. And in our testimony, as we're talking to people about Jesus, building that common ground, we find out that our badness resonates with people. Why? Because they're bad too. Our sin echoes in their hearts. Why? Because they sin too. And all of a sudden, we realize that when we tell the old beer drinking stories that we used to do, the old gambling stories we used to do, the old running around stories we used to do, the old rebellious nature stories, whatever they were for you, and that becomes part of our testimony, and the other person reacts to that in a kindred way, we realize we hit a spot of commonality. And many testimonies stop there because that's what they keep on going down exchanging old war stories. God didn't bring you out of sin so that you could resurrect it again and again. God brought you out of sin to teach you that he has transformed you from that old life to the new life. Now, the old life is still a part of your backstory, but it's still back there. Don't resurrect it and live out of it vicariously up here today. 
He spoke about it, but he didn't camp out in it. When you read these sections of Scripture that we just read, it sounds like Paul's just talking. It, it sounds like he's just being communicative with the prison guard and with the people that are standing down at the bottom of the stairwell. How can we ascertain that Paul was absolutely being led by the Spirit of God in the things he was saying and in the way that he was saying them? How do you know he wasn't just, I don't know, fulfilling some desire he had to talk? Let me ask you this question. Why would he take the time to even talk to them in the first place? They just beat him. They're trying to kill him. He's being led as a prisoner to barracks. In that transgression of time, transition of time, why would he even speak to them much less speak to them about the works of God in verse 30 through 32 of chapter 21 all the city was disturbed and the people ran together seized Paul dragging him out to the temple and immediately the doors were shut now as they were seeking to kill him you remember that verse 32 they stop beating Paul. Quite often when somebody wrongs us, and we picture, maybe as you did earlier today, your testimony picture. You probably didn't see that person in your view that really wronged you really badly. You probably weren't witnessing to that person that cheated on you or stole from you or hurt you deeply. Shoot, you know what we find offensive now? We walk into a room full of people and somebody doesn't comment on the dress we're wearing or the suit we just bought or the haircut we have. Somebody doesn't talk to us and say, well, how's your week been? And all of a sudden we go, they don't even care. Paul was beat. They're trying to kill him. They're throwing him in prison. You know what he chose to do? Rather than not take offense at it, he chose to actually share the truth with them. Well, I'll never speak to them again. Well, you should. And you should speak to them with love and compassion and hope and even admiration. For the God that saved you and drew you out of such circumstances that now he can use you to help draw other people out of their circumstances as well. If you take offense and walk away, you've not been used by God. You've been used by Satan. Paul had every right when it comes to his personal rights to say, I'm done here. But he didn't. He spoke the truth. The fact that Paul would even have an inclination to speak was because the Spirit of God was leading him to do that. Because of our own flesh, we get offended at even more trite things than that. So why would he even speak in the first place? Because the Spirit led him. Secondly, why would the commander allow Paul to speak? He didn't have to do that. You understand he's leading the prisoner to the barracks. The commander wants his day to go just like you want your day to go. When you're working your job, are you like saying, please give me more things to wait on? And he's leading his prisoner to the barracks. And he asks him, can we speak? Do you speak Greek? And they start a conversation there. The Holy Spirit knew that Paul, from his conversation, would, in, would, would impact this commander so much that he 
wouldn't let him speak. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knew that the commander knew the land that they lived in so well that when Paul speaks of where he's from, the commander is going to go, oh, that's like Hayhar. Everybody from Hayhar is really awesome, man. Oh, that's like Palm Bay. Everybody knows everybody from Palm Bay. They're pretty good folk. God used that commonality to allow the commander to allow Paul to speak. Why would Paul speak in Hebrew? He spoke in Greek to the commander. Greek was the known language of most everybody of that day. Why, why wouldn't he just speak a normal conversation? Why does Acts show us that he spoke in Hebrew? Why? Because the Holy Spirit knew that it would show Paul's training, and the Holy Spirit knew that respect would be given to the things that Paul would have to say. And why would Paul speak of his murderous heart in the past? Why would he even bring that up? Because the Holy Spirit knew that it would prove a great change. You have a backstory. You have a day before you came to Christ. You have the day you came to Christ. And you have your life since you came to Christ. Your backstory is what you were like. It's what you did. It's the life you lived. It's the acts that you carried out. It's the flesh that showed itself in its greatest and grandest way, which all would end in destruction were it not for the day that you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that flesh got redeemed. It got saved. Sanctified, it got justified. It became a process walk with God that He is cleansing you and shaping you more into the image of Jesus Christ Himself. But don't ever forget where He brought you from. Don't glorify it, but don't forget it. Because that's part of your testimony. That's part of your story. Everything about you can be used of God for you to testify of your faith. And when you yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what? God will use the most seemingly insignificant things of your backstory for a commander to allow you to speak. For somebody that hated you to start giving you an ear. There's no detail too small for God not to use to draw people to himself. Secondly, today I want you to see that the Spirit of God exposes the works of God. The Spirit of God exposes the works of God. Without the works of God, we really wouldn't have anything to say. As I said earlier, either Jesus is who he is, did what he did, or we're lunatics. But because of the works of God, we're not lunatics. We're absolutely sane. Matter of fact, we're grounded on the rock of Jesus Christ, and we won't be moved. Why? Not because we bought some fairy tale myth, but because we know that we walk in relationship with him. And you can't tell me my mama doesn't love me because she proved she did. And if my mama proved she loved me, I've walked with Jesus, and I promise you he's proved he's loved me. So you can't move us from that. We're not looking for approval, folks. We're looking to share what God did. When you look for approval, you're always gauging how the people are receiving it. You're always gauging what's going on in their mind's eye, trying to figure out how you can sway their perception. And quite often, that's why so many church services have become rock and roll venues, because they know people like it. And we're looking for approval. You're also not looking to take offense. When you share your testimony... Guess what? Somebody may not agree with you. They may say, yeah, that's good for you. And all of a sudden we go, I can't believe you're turning down the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to burn, burn, burn. You give the offense right back. 
we can't take offense. We cannot be offended when somebody determines and decides to keep walking in their own way. Why? Because people will do what they will do. And we're not looking to embellish. Let it be what it is. When you share your testimony, it is what it is. Don't all of a sudden let it keep growing and growing and growing until you can write a book about being saved at a concert. It is what it is. Look to be simple and honest. But you're sharing God's works. Here, here's God's works that Paul shares. Look at verse 6. Number one, God knows exactly where we are. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. He's getting into his testimony about how he met the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and guess what? God didn't have to say, I wonder where Paul's going. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder where he is. You see, his GPS, God's positioning system, is always completely 100% accurate. And he knows exactly where you are all the time. For some of you, that is a quiet comfort. And you go, thank Thank you, Lord, that you know exactly where I am. Some of you look back at what you did yesterday and you go, uh-oh. I shouldn't have been there. He knows exactly. He doesn't have to hunt you down to find you. Turn to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, I just want you to know that God knows exactly where you are. You hadn't gotten lost from his sight. Look in verse 1 and continue reading. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. He even knows your thoughts. Sometimes I don't even know my thoughts. But they're crystal clear to him. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If my, I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall not, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's room. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Not only does God know where you are at all times, he knows how he got you here. And he knows where he's taking you from here. There's nothing hidden from his sight, past, present, or future. And his sovereignty oversees it all. And yet at the same time, he allows your willful compliance to say, God, lead me, I will follow. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll do it when you tell me to do it. And he says, good, I'm glad you're walking in the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit, he says, witness, you witness. You don't try to determine everything around you. 
God knows exactly where we are. Just a few more, we'll close. God's works. God knows exactly who you are. If our reading of Psalm 139 didn't show us that, I don't know what will. But in chapter 22 of Acts, verse 7 and 8, Paul says, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. God knows exactly who we are. He knows what our sin nature is. He knows our vileness, our depravity, our acts. But that doesn't keep him from meeting up with us. Just as he met up with Paul. God's works. God knows exactly what you need to do. You get to verse 9 and 10. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? Isn't that the question we have in many of life's avenues? What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you. So if he forms us, there's no past, present, or future in the sight of God. Everything is knowledge to him here and now. Then he knows exactly what we need to do. Notice that God only entrusts us, though, with one piece at a time. He doesn't tell Paul the whole story. He says, you will be told the things which are appointed to you. We are in the process of yielding to the Spirit of God. And notice Paul also had to be led by the hand to go into Damascus. That tells me we're also not in this alone. God used Ananias to speak some of the rest of the story to Paul, but God used those people traveling with him to give him a help into Damascus. My friends, don't think your testimony is just your testimony. It's the working of God amongst the body of believers. It's the working of God amongst the fallen creation. It's the works of God that he has proven in your life to be his and his alone. God shaped us to be dependent upon one another as we walk in the Spirit of God so that not one single person can take the glory for what God has done. God's work, God has a plan. Look at 12 verse 12 through 16 of Acts chapter 22. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. God has a plan. He knows what's next for you. God is not reactive to circumstances. He creates it, just like he created you. Christian, that's why the words luck, karma, and those kind of words should not be a part of your vocabulary. Because when you say those words, you're saying there's some mystical force somewhere in the universe that has brought good fortune to me. There's some mystical force somewhere in the universe that makes sure they get theirs when they deserve it. God ain't no mystical force. Oh, there's a mystery to him. But he has revealed himself and his power and his sovereignty to us over and over again in his word, through his prophets, and by his people. And so luck and karma don't play into it. God rules, bottom line. 
God's work, he has a plan. God's work, God has a communication method. Look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 22. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. Look at what Paul's doing. God, I want to hear from you. I want to know your direction for my life. I'd love to be a witness to the people around me. How much have you prayed? goes on to say Paul fell in a trance and the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him. Not everything you read in the book of Acts is typical. Rather, it's atypical. But the flow of it is still there for us. The basis still applies. Pray. Listen. Apply. That's what Paul did. God's works, your past does not define God's future for you. Look at verses 19 through 20. In verses 19 through 20 of chapter 22, so I said, so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. didn't define Paul's ministry. And your past doesn't define your ministry either. God's work, salvation is for everyone. There, then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. To this point, the Jews were God's chosen people. Now God's going to do a work amongst the Gentiles using Paul as the preacher so that they hear the truth of God. Paul testified to the works of of the Spirit of God. In this, he built the case in front of all the people. Here's the way God has worked. Here's the way God has worked. Here's the way God has worked. And everybody said, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Glory, Amen. Right? That wasn't the result. Through what Paul said, the works of God were revealed. Didn't look like the right time. He was going to jail. He had just been beaten. They wanted to kill him. Didn't look like the right place. Didn't look like the right subject. And it doesn't look like the right outcome. Look at verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. They heard about the Gentiles. They didn't like that. They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. When you picture your scenario of testifying, what's the outcome? We contemplate that. And we think all of Melbourne will get saved. But God may have a different plan. It may be just to expose people to God's works so that one day when they stand in his presence having denied trust in God, the account that they're held to is so high that it still gives glory to God because it proves he's right and every man is wrong. It could be that condemnation is stacked. You don't know what God's ultimate plan for each person might be. And success can only be measured in being faithful to God. And when success is measured in being faithful to God, then you look at what happened with Paul. You have to say he was faithful to God because the Holy Spirit was leading him and his success was ultimately that he shared the truth whether anybody was willing to listen or not. To truly testify our attention must be more on God than on the crowd. And after all, your testimony is about God. Not really about you anyway. As we close, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're on the center stage of your testimony, 
understand God's only using you as a tool, not the superstar. Because he's the superstar. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And if that's the testimony you preach, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, success is not measured by the results you perceive. It's measured by God's view of your faithfulness in the midst of testifying. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching to us about testifying today? Because I'm convinced many of us have not done it. We have not shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with one person outside of our family or outside of our Sunday school room. I'm convinced that we are fearful of what other people will think. I'm convinced that we don't like failure and we create in our mind's eye what it will be like if somebody rejects us if we present the gospel to them and so we don't want to fail. I'm convinced that we think this world doesn't want to hear it. So therefore, we won't share it. You know what? <clears throat> It doesn't matter if they want to hear it or not. What matters is when the Holy Spirit of God, who is still alive and still active and indwells the children of God, who still speaks, leads, and directs, when the Holy Spirit of God prompts you to share a testimony, will you be willing to testify to what God has to say through you, or will you say, you know, that's okay? I'm good, God. At which point, you have to really question if you're walking under the Lordship of Christ or if you just really just want salvation. Because the Lordship of Christ means I'll be yielded to you, God, and what you tell me to do. And I pray that's where you are. But if it's not that picture you imagined at the beginning of the service today, why don't you ask God to let you live that out this week? To let that become a reality, that you testify to somebody, somewhere at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The results, you leave that in His hands. He's the one that knows what he wants to do with them in the future. Let's pray. Lord, you called us to be a witness. You called us to go into all the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. You didn't just call us to do that collectively. You called us to do that individually and collectively. And I would pray, Father, that we are being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That where we are and what we're doing, when you prompt us to testify, we don't hold back. It might be so simple as telling somebody where we're from. That God will use that little piece of our backstory to open the door to share more. 
let us not be afraid of the people in society. But God, let us see them as you see them. As worthy recipients of forgiveness. The only worth that they have in the area of forgiveness is that they're sinners in need of a Savior. We all met that criteria. Let us help those who are meeting it today see the Savior. And I pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Jeff, lead us in our invitation. You respond as the Spirit prompts. I'll turn it over to you, Pastor Jeff. I've already made the announcement about our desire to launch on February 28th for the Sunday evening services. So anything else you need to fill in, Pastor Jeff? Is it 27th? I'm terrible with dates. Good morning. 